Is it wrong to try to get people to think well of you? Not necessarily. Isn't it better to brush your hair in the morning instead of walking around looking ridiculous all day? So where do we cross the line into sinful pride and self-promotion? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. There's an old fictional story about an angel who was mentoring a lesser angel, and the mentor was showing his understudy around all the glories of the created universe. He was seeing the innumerable whirling galaxies and the vast distances and these exploding, burning suns with sizes that just boggle even angels' minds. And uh, as he was showing them everything, as they finally drew near to one of the galaxies and zoomed in to this tiny little nondescript ordinary star inside that galaxy, kind of out at the fringe, and they got really close. They could see something like little specks of dust uh, could sort of um, orbiting around the star. And the senior angel pointed out to uh, his protege one of the smaller ones of those specks of dust and said, uh, that's the one I wanted to show you. That one? Yeah, yeah, that, that, watch, I want you to watch that one particularly. You're kidding, right? I mean, that's, uh, after all those amazing galaxies and supernovas, and you're, you're telling me this, you want me to watch this little pebble? Yeah, yeah, that one, because that is the visited planet. Visited? What, what, what is that? Wait a minute. You visit, you mean visited by Yes, yes, that that little ball, humble as it is, was visited by the Prince of Glory. And at those words, the student caught his breath and bowed in reverence at the mention of the name. And the mentor angel then went on to take the other one through a series of revelations about what happened during that visitation that just left him stunned and incredulous. Just a made-up story, uh, but but I tell it just to remind ourselves of something of the incomprehensible magnitude of the reality spoken of in these verses. Because it wasn't just a visitation. I mean, that would have been staggering enough for the Creator to visit our planet, but it went way beyond visitation to Incarnation, which means Almighty God actually took on human flesh. The Creator entered His own creation and became a man. It's the most staggering, conceivable reality. And it's, it's placed here, not in a section about, let me teach you some theology, but in a section of, it's just an illustration of an ethical principle. And you see that a lot in Scripture. You see these these huge, huge foundations for these tiny little ethical responsibilities that we have. And the ethical responsibility that I'm referring to here is the command in verses three and four, two, three, and four, to to achieve unity in the church through humility. 
to achieve unity in the church through humility. Verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. There's the unity, and here's how you do it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves, each of you looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says, let me illustrate. And he goes on to say, here's how Jesus did it. Jesus humbled himself, and as a result, God the Father exalted him to the highest place. That's the principle that appears again and again and again everywhere in Scripture. And of all the many, many passages of Holy Scripture that teach this again and again, this this principle, uh, the greatest of all of them is right here in Philippians 2. This passage is one of the most thoroughly studied passages in the Bible. Uh, many people have gotten and continue to get their doctoral degrees on the strength of their analysis of this passage. Um, almost every word in this passage is debated. It's, 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 it's one of the theological deep points of the Bible. And not only is it one of the theological deep points, but it's also written in very beautiful poetic form and structure. I'll just read you a, a kind of a literal translation from the Greek. Here's how it sounds. Verse 5, we ha- have this attitude which also in Christ was in Christ Jesus, who in the form of God existing did not consider it a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God, but himself nullified the form of a slave taking in the likeness of human becoming and in appearance being found as a man, humbled himself, becoming obedient as far as death, death on a cross. Most scholars assume this was a song, kind of sounds like it, lyrics to a song, and it was probably an early Christian hymn. That is the greatest portrait of humility ever painted. And the model, the reason it's the greatest, is because the model who sat for this portrait is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this portrait, we see that humility can be described under four headings. I see, when I look at this, I see four main pieces of humility. Uh, Appearance, selflessness, servanthood, and obedience. We're only going to get to the first three today. We'll save the last one for next time. So let's start with appearance, because that's the very first thing that Paul says about Jesus in this passage. It has to do with appearance. He was in the form of God. That's where it starts out, being in the form of God. Now, unfortunately, the NIV tries to interpret that for you, and, um, and instead of translating it, Literally, form of God, they, they say, being in, in very nature, God. Um, other man's, major translations just, just, just leave it literal and they just say, form of God. Which I think is the good decision. I think that's the point. The Greek word here just simply refers to the form of something, the way it looks. That's what the word means. External appearance. And people want to make it mean nature because they're trying to prove that Jesus is by nature God. That's easy to prove in the rest of the passage. A couple of words later, he says he's equal with God. So that's fine. We don't need to change this word. It just means external appearance. If we try to make it mean something else, like like nature, we're going to miss the point of the passage. All through this section, the emphasis is on appearance, on Jesus' appearance, how he looked. Look at, look at what it says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being there a form of God, did not consider equality, that equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. See, each time, he's talking about 
appearance, how he looked. That's the emphasis. And here's the significance of that. This is why. What happens to you when you're in heaven and you look like God? <laughs> you are treated as God. You are worshipped. What? How do all the angels and all the heavenly beings respond when they look at the one seated on the throne, high and lifted up and highly exalted? Here's how they respond. Isaiah 6.1 I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, and each one had six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of the glory. When you're in heaven and, and, and you look like that, this is what happens. You're honored as God. But then what happened? Back to verse 6. Who, being in the very form of God, did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very form of a slave. Now, what happens to you when you're on earth and you're in the form of a slave? You look like a slave. Well, you're marginalized, despised, ignored, humiliated, stepped on, and abused. That's what happens uh, when you look like a slave. See, this is why these words have to do with appearance. Appearance is important uh, because your appearance is a major factor in determining how people treat you and think about you. And so this is what it becomes a major aspect of humility. Your attitude about your appearance in other people's eyes. You just imagine like a five-star general who walks, uh, he just outranks everyone in the room, uh, but he comes to a military event uh, dressed in the uniform of somebody who just enlisted the other day because for whatever reason that's required for him to meet some need for his men. And so he does that. And over the course of time, he endures all kinds of hazing and mistreatment. Uh, in fact, they single him out particularly to pick on him and they strip him of every dignity and out of sheer hatred and contempt for his lowliness, they despise him and they take away every last remnant of honor. That's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus, because when he came into this world, he showed up not with his full dress of his uniform of of deity, but dressed as a slave uh, in the form of a slave rather than the form of God. This one before whom the heavenly beings and angels had to cover their faces in his presence to protect them from his awesome glory He descended down into a realm in which he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Now, as a sidebar, does that mean that Jesus gave up his deity when he uh, came to to earth? Uh, Verse 6 says that he was equal with God to begin with. Was he still equal with God even after he became a man? Absolutely. Absolutely. John 5.18 is clear. He says, for this reason, he uses the same word, equal. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So uh, the, the cults try to teach us that when it says that Jesus was equal with God, that means he was a little bit less. Now, I'm no math major. But I think I'm pretty safe ground insisting that uh, on this formula right here. Equal does not equal less than. Would you agree with that one? So, so, so during those 30 years, uh, Jesus, 30 whatever, however many years, Jesus was on earth, the Trinity was not down to two. 
Right? It was it, Jesus. There, there were still three members of the Godhead. Jesus never ceased to be God, not even for one split second ever. God cannot ever go out of existence ever. John eight twenty four. If you do not believe that I am, this is Jesus. As a human being saying this, if you do not believe, present tense, that I am, you will die in your sins. John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When Jesus took on a human nature, he never gave up his divine nature, not even a little bit of it. It's not like Jesus was 50% man and 50% God. He was 100%, was and is 100% God and 100% man. So... Jesus was still God. But back to the point of the passage, he didn't look like God anymore. And that's the point. If you want to know what humility is all about, a lot of it has to do with your appearance, your attitude about your appearance, how other people see you. Pride is always consumed with making sure people see you in a positive light and that they appreciate what's good about you. Humility is willing to just let go of that when necessary for the benefit of others. This is a key element of humility. Proud people put a lot of energy into uh, making sure people aren't looking down on them, and especially certain people. And, and, and they're fine with, with helping someone else in need and giving and all that as long as they come out looking good. They're fine with being kind and, and, and giving and sacrificing and everything as long as their dignity doesn't end up taking a hit in the process. See, it's one thing to, to stoop down from your high position to a low position, but it's another thing to do that without anybody knowing about your high position, right? Sometimes we're willing to humble ourselves, but even then, we, we want the other person to know what we're sacrificing, what we're giving up. Uh, that was mine, but you can have it. Right? We have to have that. We have to say the first thing first, right? It was mine. This secretary calls one of the guys over. Can you can you please get a mop and clean clean this up and this mess? And and the guy says, Well, uh, just so you know, I'm actually the CEO of the corporation that employs you. Um, but no problem. I'll get a mop. I'll do it. I'll take it. Go ahead and take the lowly position. But first, I need to let you know that I actually belong in a higher position. Jesus could have done that. He could have been born with a halo. Right? He could have uh, just walked around with an entourage of angels just all the time. But he lowered himself so low that he was absolutely indistinguishable from all the rest of the regular human beings. Almost all his life, everyone thought he was an absolute nobody. In fact, he appeared so human, so ordinary, that's why they couldn't swallow his teachings. He, when he taught, the people would listen to him and they'd be blown away. They'd just like, this is, where is he getting this teaching? And they could tell, this, this isn't human, this is coming from the mind of God. But then, but then they, they would, they would shake that feeling off when they re- remind themselves who he was. I mean, in Matthew 13, 54, coming to his hometown, okay, so they know him here, uh, he began teaching them, the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. And then, and then they're like, but isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, isn't his mother named Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Aren't all his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. He's just some local. 
He can't be anything big. He's just, he's just some local. The, the, the moment their souls began to wake up to the fact that he was, this teaching is divine in origin, not human, they fell right back. Like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. We know him. He's just Jesus. I saw him play in the dirt when he was a kid. I saw him go run home to his mom when he got hurt. I remember the trouble he had with, you know, Greek grammar in third grade. He would, I've, I've seen him, I've seen him get so tired he'll be traveling up to a galley or something and he has to stop and take a nap. He's just a regular guy. I mean, I don't know where he gets this teaching, uh, but, but I, I do know he is nothing special. I mean, just look at him for crying out loud. Does that look to you like some kind of special prophet or whatever? Is this, he, he, to me, he actually looks more like a slave. Was Jesus... By nature, God, yes. Was he by nature human? Yes. But that's not the point. That's not what this passage is, is, is saying. The point here is his appearance. Looking like God in heaven gets you glory and honor. Looking like a slave on earth gets you spit upon, beaten, mistreated, marginalized, and ultimately killed. And for over three decades, Jesus was willing to just walk around looking like that without letting people know who he was. By his appearance. So, what about us? This is, remember, this is an example for us. Do you have to make sure people aren't thinking ill of you all the time? Do you have to make sure that they, they know you were the one in the right? Do you have to take credit for the things that you, make sure you get the credit for the stuff that you've done? And somebody else doesn't get the credit that you deserve. Do you have to make it known when, when, uh, those moments when you know the answer and nobody else knows? I knew that. Do you have to be somebody? Are you trying to be a somebody? You know, you to every time there is strife uh, in the church and some kind of a, a split or a problem, you trace it back and what will you find? Inevitably, you'll find somebody who was a somebody in the church. You don't find a nobody. Typically, at the beginning, you find somebody who, uh, who whose opinions had to be heard. You find somebody whose gifts had to be appreciated. Someone whose importance had to be recognized. Regardless of, of what needs people may have had or may not have had, um, you find what you find is someone who was the exact opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more energy you put into making sure everyone knows how amazing you are, the less observant you're going to be about needs around you. And if it's true, if you really are that amazing, God will reveal that. He will. He'll make that clear. But your promotion of your own amazingness isn't going to do anybody any good. It's not loving. It's not going to help anybody. It's not, going to, not even going to help you. So why do it? Why not just be like Jesus and be content to be thought a nobody so that you can focus on people's needs and just wait for God to lift you up in due time? It might be a good exercise for the next couple of days to try to notice every time you concern yourself with causing people to be impressed with you or to not look down on you or think unfavorably about you. And I'm not suggesting you need to feel guilty about that. There's nothing wrong with it. 
when you get out of bed, go ahead and brush your hair. Go ahead and put on nice-looking clothes instead of sweats or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. But each time you do that, each time you notice yourself doing something like that to make people think favorably about you, ask yourself, would I give this up if it was necessary to show love to someone? I mean, it's fine to brush your hair, but if if there were some kind of situation where you could show love to someone, but it required walking around with ridiculous-looking hair for some reason, would you do it? Would you be willing to allow people to think you're not very good at something that you're really exceptional at? Jesus didn't set aside his glory when there was no reason to, but as soon as there was a reason, he willingly did it. Heavenly Father, my every sense, every member of my body, every faculty, every affection is a snare to me. I can hardly open my eyes, but I envy those above me or look down on those below. I covet honor and riches of the people that I look up to, and I'm proud and unmerciful to the rags of others. If I behold beauty is the bait to lust, or see if I see deformity, it stirs up loathing and disdain. How soon do slanders and jokes and excess speech creep into my heart? Am I good-looking? What fuel for pride. Am I deformed? What an occasion for more pride wishing I wasn't that way. Am I gifted? I lust after applause. Am I uneducated? I grumble at what I don't have. Am I in authority? How prone I am to abuse that trust and make my will a law and exclude other people's interests and serve my own interests. Am I inferior? How much I begrudge others' preeminence. Am I rich? How exalted I become. Lord, you know all these are snares and traps, and that my greatest snare is myself. I bewail that my understanding is dull. My thoughts are kind of so-so. My affections are weak my expression slow, my life unimpressive. You remember that I am dust, but so often I forget. Make me mindful of my natural state, but let me not forget my heavenly title as well, or the grace that can deal with every sin. When I get caught up with my own glory or lack of glory, let me turn my attention to your glory. Your head and hair are white like wool, as white as snow, showing your infinite wisdom. Your eyes are like blazing fire, penetrating the human heart. You know everything. Your feet are like bronze glowing in the furnace. Awesome, frightening, powerful, immovable. Your voice is like the sound of rushing waters. In your right hand, You hold seven stars. 
the angels of the seven churches. You're sovereign over the churches. And out of your mouth comes a sharp, double-edged sword. Your face is like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. If I saw you, I would fall at your feet as though dead. Your throne is in heaven, and you have the appearance of precious jewels. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircles your throne, and surrounding it, 24 other thrones, with 24 elders, dressed in white and with crowns. From your throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a river of fire. And day and night, the living creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to you, who sit on the throne and live forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before you, who sits on the throne, and worship you, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.